Welcome to the first season of the Interfaith Center for Racial Justice, ICRJ, podcast. This evening, along with my co-host, Lynette Holmes, we will be talking with Mary Williams, who is the prison ministry warrior, if I will, if I may, um, at Grace Episcopal Church. And Mary, this evening, is going to talk to us about what it means, why is it necessary, and really enlightening us about the whole role that a prison minister um, does as she goes about doing this most important work. Welcome, Mary. Hello. You know, Mary, when we when we think of, of prison ministry, there's a mindset that we're only talking about um, uh, ministry in, in the way that we think of, of people who are incarcerated in the sense that um, we're, we're there for the so-called criminal, and I say that in quotes. And yet, when one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on on this evening is to talk about what the importance of ministering to women who, number one, may not have a voice. There's no doubt that, that some may or may not have done something wrong because as we're learning every day, um, there are people who are incarcerated who have absolutely no business in jail or in prison. But whether they're there because they, they should be or not, everybody deserves to be ministered to. And that is why I feel your work is so important. So I would like if um, initially you could just share a little bit about what you do and why you do it. And why is it important for you at this stage of your life to, to do this type of work? Well, it is important to me is because um, I have been arrested 26 times from the age of 18 up until 2005. Um, I feel like I'm the perfect person for it because I've been inside. I've felt what they feel. I've been through what you've been through. I've been separated from my family and children. And um, I know the heartache of it all. I believe that, that you have to be told that God is going to meet you where you're at. He didn't say, you do this time, and then I'll talk to you. And I think that's very important that women know that, or anyone in jail knows that, you know. Um, a lot of churches, they have every other ministry. They have uh, feeding the homeless, shelters, and, and everything else. But at our church, there was no prison ministry. And um, I think it, it gives me um, hope, even for myself as well as them, that if they can see a woman that has been through so much turn her life around, and ha I have been forgiven for everything I've done, you know, it gives them hope, you know, where it's like shining a light in a dark cell, you know. It, it's not so much that um, it's important. Yes, you can go to these uh, Bible study classes and stuff in the prison, but my point is I want to go directly for your heart and mind. So I think it's important that you keep it very personal, very one-on-one, -on -one, instead of 50 people in a room and half of them aren't even going to be paying attention. You know, you make it personal because each and every person in that jail, each and every case and situation is different and they have to know that they are they, they're special. You know, the, oh, go ahead, Carol. I have a question for you. Um, now, when you, what made you 
Was there one single incident or that just kind of touched your heart to to feel like this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to, in your church, um, start this ministry. Was it one particular thing or is it something you've been thinking about? How did you come about it? Well, when I was um, down south in, in Florida, and uh, I was in the Orange County jail. At that particular jail, they had a Christian dorm, and it was your choice whether you went into that dorm or not. And all we did all day long was study God's work. And then I spent, I think it was about a year in there, a little over, over a year. What the amazing part was that changed my life. It turned me around. And see, up here in Michigan, they don't have that for the ladies. They, they don't have that. You know, it, not everybody is gonna grasp it. And I think the, the part that was, the good part was, it was their choice, you know. And, um, I just knew in my heart that I always wanted to minister to women in prison. You know, I think one of the, the um, one of the main interests for me, as you talked about doing your work, is that one-on-one -on -one and how isolated women are. Okay, so you're you're in 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 a situation where they're they're all women and and. You know, there's there's a mindset, or if you watch TV, people have a certain mindset of what happens in those places, and that that um, everybody's story is the same. And I think that when I hear you talk about working with women one on one, it really reinforces to me that you recognize that everybody's story is not the same. And so, as you go about ministering. Um, you, you are dealing with the person one-on-one -on -one to hear her story and to see what her needs are. And that, I think, is, is so important. And no matter what field, or no matter what way you, you talk about advocating for people or helping or supporting people, is that you take on the individual. And so my, my question, when you were talking about the church and the fact that there are all types of ministries and churches, and we know this to be true. And yet, prison, prison ministry, you know, you may not find that, you know? And part of it, well, I guess I should ask you this. Why do you think that is? I think that is because some churches may have all older people your mind's already set about any criminal you know uh, people just don't want to talk about things that are really happening around them it's like you have blinders on as long as it doesn't interfere inside your box you're all right with it you know and um it's such a great loss when you even think and see like that. Because even in churches, you're going to follow God's word, right? Well, didn't he say visit the prisoner? You know? Oh, people want to do all these other things, but you want to pick and choose. You want to pick and choose. Well, that isn't how it goes. Either you take all of God's word or don't take none. He didn't say, oh, well, you help the homeless, you do this and that. But that prisoner, man, give up on them, you know. Give up on them. Society gives up on them. Everybody gives up on them. Their families give up on them. And that shouldn't be, the church should not be a place where that happens. I no, agree 100% not at all. with you. That it should not be a place where that happens. We can't. We can't only deal with with what we call the so-called clean crisis. You know, the the crisis where um, we don't get our hands dirty. 
you know, um, the crisis where because you feel that it doesn't affect you, um, then you're just not going to be worried about it. I think there's some things that people choose to do that um, make them feel and and that make them feel good about doing it are the things that are safe, okay? And yet, the work that you're doing, I I don't want to be trivialize it in the sense of saying that. Um, uh, it seems so easy to do because I know it isn't. I really and truly know it isn't. And that's why I'm so impressed. Because I know that in your heart, you want to do what, what's right. And you're going to do this ministry. But I know you're getting um, um, feedback that, that kind of tells you, either overtly or not, that oh, this may not necessarily be the right thing to do because after all, she did kill kill her mother, or after all, you did deal those drugs, and you know that's against the law. And so I think that you don't, maybe we don't look at people as throwaway people. And um, I think what you're doing is really bringing that to light. I really do think you're bringing that to light. I have one more question, or another question for you about the work that you do. When you meet women, what, what, what do you kind of walk us through what happens? And, and no names intended, no names necessary. But I know that you've worked with women. I know that you've followed women through their trials. I know that you've followed women through sentencing. I know that you visit women, you talk to women, they talk to you. What is your, how do you do that? What is, what's the first thing that you, you have done? How did you reach out? Well, first of all, um, when I first introduced myself to one of the inmates, and I don't really know them, um, I tell them who I am and that I've been where you are, and I know how you're feeling, and I just want to let you know that if you want me to, I will um, go through this hard time with you. You know, people tend to want to cut out on you when things go wrong, right. you know, so I just, you know, and I mentioned my story, you know, I understand I've been arrested 26 times, you know, um, you know, just, just keep it one-on-one. -on -one. I, I don't talk about your crime at all because it makes no difference to me. Okay. It makes none. Um, it is hard sometimes when I'm in those courtrooms and in courtroom scene uh, sometimes up to four different families that have been devastated you know that that's hard to deal with you know and then a lot of times I'm, I'm blessed to be able to speak to the families and and help them along the way but to be honest, I really pray over each and every inmate. I pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what is it you want me to say? But above all, if I feel nervous that my words aren't going to do it, I'll give you straight the Word of God. Because I know for a fact, if I send the Word of God to an inmate, God's word does not come back void. It's gonna make a change, whether you like it or not. And I think that's what needs to be done. You need to just feed that broken spirit with the word of God. Would you, um, would you be doing this work if you were not connected to the church, if you did not belong to a church? I would be, be wanting to. I, I think, um, if it hadn't happened here at the church, at this church, it was going to happen somewhere. It was, you know, I always thought, why me, Lord? Why did I have to go through all of that, you know? And now I know why. I think that, um, uh, you know, to the fact that, that you would do that 
um, no matter what, also speaks to, you know, coming from a, a, a spiritual spot. It really does because if we think about that, we are called to do certain certain works, okay? We are called to do certain works. And for some of us, we get it. Some of us, we're still waiting to get it. But if you, if you are there to do it, you're going to do it. And I agree 100% with you. No matter where you are, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And so um, it just so happens at this point in time in your life, this is what's needed. And um, when you listen to the statistics about what's happening in the United States, I was listening to some stats, some data this morning, and how we as a country have the highest prison population in the world. I hope, you know, that that's kind of like hard to, to, to get in your head, you know, and they're still building places and then you, then you um, read the, the um, oftentimes people who are there who should not be there. And the very sad thing is, is that somebody didn't discover that they shouldn't be there two years after they were. Men are coming out, women are coming out, you know, 20, 30 years, a whole life has gone by. And then somebody decided that they were gonna do the right thing and look into the evidence as to why a person should not be there. So um, it's, it's easy to say better late than never. Okay, we can all be grateful that somebody found that out. Somebody took, took the energy and cared enough about people to really uh, forge ahead to find that out. But the, the thing is, is that we seem to be, be in a spot in this country where we don't deal with with problems because Mary and I were talking this afternoon and, and we were saying that I think what people don't realize is that a child does not wake up in the morning and say okay I'm gonna be a bank robber okay I'm gonna deal drugs you know you don't you know I'll, uh, you don't wake up a criminal and that there are things that happen in your life like poverty like unemployment, like uh, a poor education. All of those things contribute to people being incarcerated on top of the also unfairness as to how the criminal justice system is set up for poor and brown people in this country. So um, we have to work to change that. And that's what you're doing. You know, also, um, jail is big business. Sure. <laughs> big business. Now, you don't want to lose a client, do you? Sure. You know, so, that's, that's, that's I'm just being honest. <laughs> no, uh, that's true. I'm being honest about sure, it. that's true. You, let me, you, let, you don't want to lose no money. So, let me ask you, so how do you, uh, you, you kind of stepped us through what it is you do, right? Um, but how do you select what person that you'll follow? I mean, what do you do? Do you go to the courthouse? Does somebody refer you? And what municipality are you working out of? I follow the news. Okay. And then I can, at first I was, when I first started, only in January of this year. And I decided to do this. I thought, well, I'm only going to do women doing life in prison. And then that's changed. Uh, I'm going to broaden what I do now. Um, I'm trying to get my thoughts together, sorry. That's okay, take your time. But uh, it's just... Do you make, do you select, let me ask you this. So then, if you follow the news and you see mm -hmm. on the news someone's been yeah. incarcerated uh, or whatever, yeah. you just kind of follow that story and follow them to wherever they are? Yeah, I'll, I'll call and see if I can confirm that they're in there. Okay. You know, because you don't want to be sending things into a jail and the person has bonded out and such. So, and everybody 
say that I send a greeting card to or say that we're praying for you and the situation you're in. Not everybody's going to respond, mm -hmm. but we're planting the seed, you know. And there's been um, a couple of ladies that are, are really doing well now, you know. See, you can make a choice. You can go to jail or, or prison. You can still have the same behavior you had out here on the street. You can do the same things up in that jail. So are you going to continue to do the same things that got you up in there, in there? When are you going to make a change for yourself? You know? When do you think, Mary, when you, when you talk about people making a change, what do you think makes a person make that change? What do you, as you're working with women, and even personally yourself, when did you decide that, you know, uh-uh, there's no way to live, I'm a mother, you know, I'm getting older, you know, this is just no way, I don't want to live like this again, I'm not going to go through this again. Did you feel you had a choice in doing that? You know, and making that decision, um, and were ready to make that decision, how did you get to that point? I got to that point when you're going to hear, people may think this is crazy, you're going to hear God, <coughs> pardon me, call your name. You're going to hear it, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel bad about the way you were living, the things you've done. And until you have remorse for what you've done, your crimes and, and everything else, um, it's, it's, you're not going to turn around. Even though you go to jail, you still have choices. See, that's where people get it mixed up. You think, okay, um, I've got life. That's it. That's the end. You still have a choice. Are, is your heart and mind going to be free? That's the part the jail can't have, is your mind and heart. You know? And I think God lets you know when. When you feel bad for the things you have been doing, then He'll step in and take off for you. So it's a personal, True personal, okay, you said it, because it's personal, you know, like, um, even the intervention that you do, you're, you're, you only bring people to that point, you're not, I don't want to say you're not the deciding factor, but it's like you said, you're planting seeds, and then it makes people reflect. And when we're when we're talking about God, um, we're not we're we're talking about who people worship, you know. Um, because I I I don't want to people to think that we're only talking about Christianity, okay? Because we know that there there are all kind of people who who are in, who are incarcerated who are in prison. But it's that 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 place where your heart is touched where you know you it, you've done a crime and not only to to the person who you victimize okay but to the person who you do worship and especially if you're worshiping um, a God who who is kind a God who who um, does not we're not to hurt one another and you, I think the other thing people feel is that uh, people don't appreciate what we talk, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago about who the victims are. You said you go in, into court with people and they're like four families that you have to deal with. That there are other people um, who, who are in jail, if you will, and, 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 and not necessarily physically. So um, I don't think people understand that either. 
You talking about self-made prisons? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm. You know. You're right. You can be free, and your life is just terrible because it is. If you don't, if you keep doing the same thing and getting the same results, then I think you need to change it so you can get a different result. You can't sit there and blame that on anybody. You know, you, you, what is, you really have to check yourself out, you know, and to sit there and, and make a, a prison of your own, let me tell you something, that's way worse than even being locked up. That's way worse. You're in the free world living like that. You know? Could you imagine how a person would feel if I wrote them and said, well, I'm, I've, I'm live, I've made my own little prison and stuff. What, how can you give another person hope if you're living like that? You know? You, it's all about hope, you know? Some people don't have hope whatsoever, and, and people just continue. I don't care what color you are, whatever. Uh, people just don't want to encourage people to do better or encourage love, you know. It's, this world's just really a mess right now. I don't care whether you're in or out. Well, it's, it's, it's yeah. And Mary, you know, it's such a wonderful thing that you're doing. Um, and I'm sure there's others out there that are kind of doing the same kind of thing. And maybe somebody that's kind of thinking about, oh, she's doing that. I mean, how does a person get started? I have, a, I have a friend named Pam. She's going to team up with me next month. And she's a hospice nurse. She cut down her hours just so we could do more and reach more people. And just watching other people, you know, and see how it just gets contagious. Good things are contagious. It's called a movement. That's what it is. <laughs> That's how movements yeah. start. That That's is. really to someone who is brave enough to step out and and say that there needs to be a change. And and it, and as you said, it, it, it does get contagious because what you've done is is you've given people the the okay to say, well if she could do that, I can do that. You know, or there's something, there's some part of it. They may not even do it in the same way that you're doing it. But, you know, we all know, We everyone sitting at this table, we know that these things, one thing leads to another. You know, one thing leads to another. And before you know it, um, you're going to have more work than you know what to do with. And, you, and you're going to need people to work with you. And I think that's what's so nice about starting it, especially here. We always, in Macomb County, hear about people starting things, and they're all around us. You know, there's Wayne County, Oakland County. Um, and we have needs right here. But it's almost like if you don't deal with those needs, then they don't exist. And you're shining a light on the fact that um, yes, these things do exist, and yes, these things do need to be dealt with. Nope, it's not easy, but you know there are a lot of things in life that are not easy, um, but they have to be done anyway. So. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you how you felt about the. Uh, the prison reform, that's something that, that uh, they have in effect right now. Where they trying to, um, it's for people that's been incarcerated, that's currently incarcerated right now, that they trying to reopen their case with the new laws they have now and the new system for evidence. They're trying to reopen their case and try them again. That way, there's a lot of people in there that's doing a life sentence or for a drug charge. And come on, we know that's not even 
that that that's not that don't even sound right. Just the the whole prison reform and, and with them trying to help help these uh, inmates get fair trials and, and trying to help them. You know, if you've been in there over 40 years for a crime that's not as serious as a murder crime, you, it's about time you come home. So so that's 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 what the whole prison reform is about. And they they've been uh, working hard on getting a lot of these inmates out of there. I think that's what they need to do. The prisons are so overcrowded. You're just giving people life sentences for things that were nonviolent. Right. Um, I do know that as far as Macomb County in, in the state of Michigan, I don't know the exact count, but there's 332 cases, let's say. Anyone that was under the age of 17, I mean under the age of 18, uh, they have them on a list per county. How many per county? Macomb County has 12. So they're going to give them an opportunity to be resentenced because they were underage. They, you know, say for an example, there's five states down south. I have a nephew that's doing life in prison in Angola. He was 18 at the time of the crime. Okay. If he would have been in any of the rest of the states, he would have gotten, yes, life. But he would have had a chance for parole if he would have been in any other state. You see the difference there? Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's a disparity between states. Mm -hmm. And that, um, you know, states dictate. You, you, they go different. Uh, it's different from wherever you happen to be. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. So, yes, I've heard a lot about that. And I think that's a good thing because um, you're not only locking that person up. What about their children? They, they're being raised without fathers, mothers, you know? So you're not only making that person do life for a nonviolent crime, but actually you're actually sentencing that family. That's true. You know? That's true. So now you have young men coming up with no father, you have young ladies being grown with no mother, and you wonder why kids are going crazy. Oh, they don't have any guidance. Because you know why? Because jails want to make money. You're making money off of tragedies, and you're creating tragedies. When does it stop? When are we going to do something different? But no, it's that mighty dollar bill. And when but you talk, that, that's very hopeful. When you talk about money, I think it's important to note that those people who don't have access to the funds to hire attorneys that can go through those legal ins and outs where they don't spend time. We see the disparity in sentencing as well. And who is in jail and who isn't in jail and who is in prison and who isn't in prison. And there is a disproportionate number of black and brown people, um, disproportionate uh, based on just what the um, population is in our country that those people are the ones who are incarcerated. Those people are the ones who are incarcerated for these long spells of time. And, and just recently, just the whole issue with Manafort, them wanting to send Manafort to Rikers Island, a place where no one wants to be, and we know he didn't want to be there. Um, but they made changes where he didn't have to go. Now, why did that happen? Because he has access and because he has money. And yet it's pointed out that there are black and brown people in Rikers Island 
who have never even seen a judge, okay? But because they don't have the funds to get themselves out, that's where they sit. That's where they sit. So it's that type of, of um, disparity that um, if we're looking at prison reform, you have to deal with prison reform through the lens of race and money as well. Yeah. Do you know what else is went on? Is the majority of women that are in prison in the United States are African American women. The next would be Hispanic and then a, a few white people. But now that the opiate crisis has come along, now you have the white people in there. But you weren't trying to do anything until that happened. Yeah. You, you just want to lock them up. It's, yeah, it's, and that, it, it's a lot that's of work. ridiculous. That's a lot of work that needs to be done there. I mean, we could we could do a whole other podcast on the opioid um, crisis, right? And, and, the, and, on and the, the the impact on communities and the impact on whose community? Okay, because we know we hear things now about oh, you know, when you're addicted and you're sick and. You know, we need to be compassionate because people are sick and, and people don't need to, to you know, um, addiction is a sickness, it's an illness, you know, the whole nine yards. Yet, during the crack cocaine um, episode in this country, it was a whole other ballgame. And we all know that. It was a whole other ballgame. And I don't understand where you can't see see anything you know about addiction, you know that that is an illness. You know, you know that people, you know, don't walk away, just walk away from that. But people were not treated compassionately, you know, and families were split, and, and men and women were separated from their families, you know, for lifetimes. And a whole lot of people went okay. to jail. Yes, yes. So, um, there's, 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 like I said, we could do a whole other segment on that. On that. And why is it that way? So, um, interesting. Very interesting. So, Mary, let me ask you one more question. If somebody wanted to, or anybody wanted to uh, help you out, how would they be able to get in contact with you? Just, um, call. Grace Episcopal Church and um, in Mount Clemens and let the office know what you would like to do and um, they'll get in touch with me and let me know and that would be great because the, the more the more power that goes out and you were talking about how people don't know these uh don't don't have good lawyers and, and things like that. Another thing families and people don't realize is the majority of people are going to get a public defender. And I'm not saying all of them are bad because there's some great ones. But if you feel that he is not doing what needs to be done, you know, to help you, you can let him go. In other words, you can fire him. You go before the judge. All they say is that we, we don't agree, and that's the end of it. The judge will say, okay, and then you'll have another lawyer. Not that people should take advantage of it, because you didn't get off on, on something wrong that you did. But you do need proper representation. And families that have mentally ill uh, people, like I have, I have a, a lady that is very mentally ill. Her family didn't even know things like that, you know. So it's important. 
families have to know what's going on too because they're at a loss you know they don't know so i really think that it is important that i do go sit in that courtroom you know everybody wants to be with somebody during the good times if you really care and love someone you're going to be there through the hard times and i'm talking about this is the worst time of your life mm -hmm. going to jail and you you bring up a, a real important point in which we are you know more than familiar with doing the work that we've done is that people need to understand what it means to advocate for people to be a good advocate for someone to make sure that they have um, resources and information um, because if you don't have those resources and you don't have the, that information you can very easily fall through the cracks and you know we can say that it's not by design we can say that people don't care if people fall through the cracks because it just fills up the prison which puts money in my pocket or your pocket or whatever but we need to appreciate the fact that people need good advocates and um, to be able to once a person and I know this is putting a lot on you but it's just something to keep in the back of your mind that when when you're talking with people who are who do need that type of representation and that type of advocacy immediately I know you're aware of what what happens the family dynamics and I know um, that you have a good idea of what families need that's the type of advocate that we need on this we don't need people who are sitting um, and, and lofty positions, and I'm going to say it because I know it's to be true, and, and are ready to check a box and then don't deliver. Because this, these are people's lives we're talking about, and if you're not, if you're not talking about the person who's incarcerated, um, we had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to see the documentary or listen to the person who did the documentary, The Sentence, and um, it's on HBO, and it's an excellent Powerful. documentary. Because what it stressed was, was that there's family, the, the woman had daughters, she had a, a, her mother, her father, her brother. You know, this affects all people. This affects all people. And even for those of us, it affects us too, believe it or not. It affects us too, because what kind of society are we when we have the largest prison population. That doesn't speak too good to who we are. It just, just doesn't speak too good to who we are. So, um, yeah. You know, I like what I like about your ministry is, I think you said something early on, it's not about whether a person is guilty or not. That's not what you're, you're not in there advocating for the person's innocence or their guilt. You're, you're saving that. You're trying to help them with their souls. And you're trying to, you, you know, uplift them and show them the way, uh, so to speak. So I like, how you, I like how you talk about that and the passion that you have for it. Thank you. You know, a lot of people, um, I could barely read. read. I could write, but barely read when I first started going to jail. The only kind of education that I really received in my entire life was in jail. You know? So you've got people that don't even can't comprehend certain words and everything. You know? It's just you just have to keep it plain and simple. You know, stop trying to sugarcoat this and sugarcoat that, you know, and see it for what it is. And give people, um, you said hope earlier, but I think people have to, number one, forgive. And, and to be able to, number one, forgive yourself, okay? Because if you get to, to that point, as you say, that people get to, where um, this is not the life I want to live. You know, nothing you can do to go back to change that now. You know, toothpaste is out of the tube, so to say. 
But then you have to forgive yourself. Okay, you really do have to forgive yourself. And and those of us who who are on the outside looking in, we have to do the same thing. We have to do the same thing. And I know I'm I'm saying this, and um, it's it may sound just like words, or it may sound like it's I'm trying to make it easier said than done. But you know. There's a certain way that people look at people who are incarcerated. There's a certain way that people look at them. Um, and the bottom line is, is that we have to be able to look at people and forgive them for those past deeds. And that's the work that we have to do. So if we're expecting people to do that. We have to do is it's like two ways. We have to do the same thing. And so, um, but never finished, I, I guess is what I want to say. Just never finished. You know what is a blessing through it all? As I help them, they help me. They just don't know how wonderful they are. And that's going to make me cry. All right, so, <laughs> you know what? They are some awesome women. And everybody makes mistakes. We all fall short of yes. God's glory. I don't care who you are. You know, I just wish the best for you. I want you to be free. Even though you have barbed wire guards with guns, I want you to be free on the inside. If you never make it out, you can make it out from your heart and your mind. That's important for people to know. And being real, Mary, you're being real about it. And uh, when somebody's real about it, it, you can receive that. So you, you should be really proud of yourself. We're very proud of you uh, and the ministry that you're that you're doing. Um, we just believe it's going to catch on like wildfire. Thank you. Yeah. yeah we, we thank do. you. We thank you. I wanted to um to ask ask a question about something. I know like the the ministry that you're doing is it's like a it's it's a blessing for the inmates because a lot of they don't they don't get to hear this. You know, the most they can do on their own is read the Bible. You know. And to actually have somebody sit there and show, you know, I been I care. I genuinely care. You know, and it is hard for them because they can sit there and speak to you and be uplifted and then go back to that cell and you got more than anything the guards that treat you like crap and draw you back to that that person that they they label you as the animal that they label as, label you as they try to bring that out of you and that's how they create they create and they they build these stories and make it seem like you're just a monster in jail it's not really, it's not like that and these are the things that's inside that you don't hear about on the outside but you hear about what they do, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's plenty of times you hear that the uh, the inmates, not the inmates, the, um, the COs and, and the officers in there, when they write their reports, it's not 100% accurate. They do it to their liking. And they try to make you look real bad in there. So you fighting with that. At the same time, you're already mentally broken because you got families at home you're trying to get to. You know, and it's so hard for a lot of them. I have, I have a, a cousin that's doing 12 years right now. I have an uncle that's doing 15 in life right now. And he, and I spoke to him and he told me like, a lot, of pe a lot of people in the family think that he's a strong, strong person. He's like, man, every day I'm in here, I'm fighting for my life. And people think I'm just one of those strong dudes. And he said, it's not, it's not that easy. He says, it's not like they think it is in here. And he's gonna he's having a, a tough time right now trying to get his case reopened to you know to get a fair trial so but these are things they go through and this is why like i really take my hat off to you because they need more people like you to come to these prisons or even like, like however you get in contact with them and, and see them face to face to talk to them one conversation could change a person's life Absolutely. one one it could be a word you tell them a sentence anything that they hold on to that is viable to them and can change their life. You know, and there's a lot of people out there that's in jail now that need that. 
that really, really need that. They're going through a tough time. They they can't get a phone call like they want to. You know, you know, in prison, a phone call is really all you have. You need your phone call. You need that mail. You know, it's, it, it helps you. People don't realize how much that really helps. You know, a, a certain, a, like, a person that asks you, can you send me a letter? When you send them a letter, you don't get one back. And, and they at home, they don't really think it's a big deal. But not really. In there is a big deal because that's really all you have. You have a letter and a phone call that you're able to get when you can is all you, all the only connection you have to family. You know, and it's just the stuff that go on in there that can prevent that. You get into it with a CO and it's not your fault. You lose your phone privilege. You can't use the phone for months at a time, and they, and, and and that 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 right there make you go crazy in there too. They got the solitary confinement where they can put you in there for 190 days. They can have you in there for three years if they want to. A small box and you by yourself. And they'll sit you in there. That's too long. That's too long for any inmate, any person. Now I feel like that's another thing that's just not fair. It's inhumane. But I almost think that the system is, is built to project that in humanity because people for the most part feel that you are where you deserve to be because you committed XYZ. And so it is it should be of no surprise that people go through a difficult time and that there are those who really intend for that to happen. Who really intend for that to happen. And so um it kind of makes you think about the whole system a little differently, you know. And I'm hoping that is why we do what we do, um, because if nothing else, we want people to think about things a little differently. If you thought that, you know, it's it's okay to look down your nose or or uh, treat someone differently. Um, then you may want to think about that again, because not everyone in there um, deserves that. No, no one deserves that. And so, again, that that's that's a personal thing in the sense of, you know, I don't know what it's like to to go through something where where um, you know, like the the church in was it South Carolina, where the where the guy came in and killed all the people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I can't imagine something like that happening to me. And But I also so couldn't imagine the number of people whose families were destroyed. I forgive you. I forgive you. You know, we forgive you. Yeah. You know, it's like that if that doesn't make you look at things a little differently, you know, he's the, you know, the kid who did all of this is going to get what's coming to him. However, you know, what a message to send. I forgive you. You know, um, I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I could have done that the week or the next day after that happened because that's what those people did. That's exactly what they did. And, and it was heartfelt. So it's just a number of ways, I guess, where we can minister. Absolutely. I, I have learned, uh, I found this interesting, that the suicide rate is higher in the county than it is in the prison. Because nobody want to go to prison. And I think that, it's, it's also, too, that's why I think, you know, the county is so important. It's so important that we get in there and begin to minister then. Mm -hmm. Right then, when it happened. That's what I was saying earlier about how people don't want to go be down with you through the hard time. They, they want to be with you when things are going smooth. But that is so important that we get them in the county first before they get up to the prison. 
as an example, I know a 17-year-old. She was a 17-year-old young lady when the crime was committed. If I could have met her and kept mentoring her and ministering to her in the county, I think it wouldn't be so, I don't think I would have lost her in the prison because like I said, you can go to prison and, and have the same behavior that getting uh, introduced to those ladies in the county is so important, so important. As well as prison, but why not get it when it when it's happening? Right in the beginning. Do you know of anyone else who's doing your work in the county? And um, they have. This is really cool. They have a guy that's doing the men's, and then they have a a woman chaplain. But the guy that's the chaplain. Out of 200 people they interviewed for that job, they chose the guy because he's an ex-criminal. He's an ex-con. What a better person for the job. See, a lot of people, I may not have the, went to all the colleges and have all these wonderful things, but have an education money can't buy money can't buy this is straight up hands-on and it was really encouraging to to hear about his story and I was like I'm in there now <laughs> you know I know I'm going in there if they let him why wouldn't you let Mary Williams mm-hmm. you know I'm no different from him mm-hmm. let me in there just give me a chance to really go in there. Right now, I have to, you know, I do everything uh, off-site visits on my phone and stuff, but at this present time, until I get clearance, I can't actually go up in there. What's stopping your clearance? My uh, criminal history. I thought you said he had one. He did, but I have to put, put it together. And then, you know, write my story and all that and give it to that warden. The warden can give me clearance. Well, that's something that we, those of us who... who Same way at state prison. Yeah, those of us who can advocate for that. Right. There are people who can advocate for that. And... Um, Ooh, that makes my spirit jump. Oh, yeah. Think about going to jail, y'all. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that, you know, that no, is the craziest thing. There are people who can advocate for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Because and, that's why, and that's why it's important to have a conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A conversation to listen to somebody who's been there, who's done that, and like, this is really happening. And, um, you know, that's... ICRJ, if we don't do anything else, we make sure that there's a conversation a conversation about whatever it is. And in your particular case, the the prison, the women's prison ministry is a fantastic thing. Oh, there are people who can, can, can do something, as they say, some work on that. That would be amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Because we can't, we can't um, talk one game. One of the things that ICRJ really, really, um, this is is part of our mission. We can't advocate for these things to happen and then not put our money where our mouths right. are. Right. We just can't do that. And so, um, and we know for a fact that there are ways where that can happen. Okay, so we're just going to figure out how to make that happen. That's the amazing part that even though that's my church over there and I love them very much and um, the priest says, yeah, let's do this. But they they don't really know how to, he doesn't really know how to direct me to get up in 
to the gym to help the women and stuff, you know? And I just think that you are a real blessing. And I'm so happy I've met you all. So happy. That's Just amazing happy people. To have That's, what That's what we do. That's what we do. And we've done we this. Do. You know, we've been we've been advocates and for over thirty years on uh, directing people to get what they need. Um, because we know that people are roadblocked. And we know that people have certain interests where um, it's better for them not to let certain people in. Now, you need to give us a reason why you're not letting this person in when we know that X, Y, Z, and Z is happening. But it's, it's like, how can I put it to you? We're not afraid to ruffle feathers. We're just not afraid to ruffle feathers. And that's the importance of an organization um, such as ICRJ, Interfaith Center for Racial Justice. Um, because that's what we're supposed to be doing here. That is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be doing that. And um, we're gonna do, I'd like to make a commitment right now um, and be held to it. We're gonna do whatever we can to make that happen. Thank because that is so important. That is really know. important. Thank and you. I certainly oh. support it. I certainly Thank support you. it. Yeah. We're going to see if we can make that happen because I think your work is so important. Um, and whether you're doing it at Grace or not, I think your work is so important. And uh, we think, and it fits right in our mission of what we do as an organization. So um, I would like to, unless someone else has something else to say, um, <laughs> um, so I would love to bring this to a, a close uh, okay. because I think we could be here all evening. We really um, can. <laughs> it's interesting. But stuff. and we will revisit mm -hmm. because that's also um, our goal is to present and do a follow up, and um, and maybe you can the next time you come back you can tell us directly even if you are able to hear from women and I know sometimes that that's not possible at times but to hear from women who can talk about um, the value of what your ministry means to them because that's also important um, and it shows other people out there that you know there is somebody who's interested in me and interested in my story so I do have one thing for you Mary I want you to give as we close out give us your 15 second elevator speech to somebody who is who could potentially help you in your ministry and you got on the elevator with them you only have 15 seconds to say hey this is what I need what would you say if you don't have listen I'll tell you what, if you don't have Hi, it right now. Hi, my name's Mary Williams, and I'm a prison minister, and I need help, and um, would you like to join? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. What do you need okay. help with, Mary Williams? What Writing ladies, sending cards. Uh, How about money? How about that dollar? Bill. Oh yes, we could use some of those too because <laughs> you can buy the ladies uh, packages once they're in, in, up in the state prison. They have packages that you can buy, you know, hygiene or food or whatever. All the ladies need hygiene. You know, food, yes, you like a little snack every now and then, but that's not what I'm going for, you know you know, hygienes, mm -hmm. you know, to keep them feeling like a woman. Mm -hmm. Even though you're locked up and you only have one set of colors to wear, you know, being, making yourself feel like a woman mm -hmm. means the world right. instead of some beast locked behind the door. You know, whatever you could do to help anyone, okay. you know, anyone, it takes a lot of people 
to to try and make things right. Mm -hmm. Yes, know. it does. Just yes, not, it does. just not a few. Yes, it does. Yes, it does, and that's why it's so important if we can be of any help to get the word out, um, because it's, it is like I said earlier, just like starting a movement. Right. And and it only takes one person to do that. It only takes one person to do that. And before you know it, you definitely got three sitting right here. There you go. Okay. You and before you know, when you come, hey, so when you when you come back again, you'll have that. It'll be instead of fifteen, it'll be ten seconds, and somebody will be peeling money out of their pocket, giving it to you. You'll be all set and ready. Right. I'll have right. that that. 15 second, second, 15 second speech elevator speed done before I go to bed. There we I, go. There she's we got go. that on my mind. There it that is. That was so cool. Thank and you. that's what you're using every time you meet somebody right. who could potentially help you get to where you're, where you need to be. I need a Christian sales pitch. There we go. That's it. That's what it is. That's what it is. And if you need her, you Pardon. find you at. Uh, Grace Episcopal Church in Mount Clemens, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get tongue-tied too easy. That's okay. <laughs> well, fast, so. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us this, this important information on an issue that really affects us all, whether or not we want to claim it. It, it affects us all. I would like to say anybody that hears this, and maybe you, for some reason you just hear it and you don't get in touch with me. But the most powerful thing we can do for the entire situation is pray. Pray. And there's no greater way to show respect and honor to a person you don't even know is to pray for them. So thank you. Thank you.